from the Word of God. I'll be able to share God's Word with you this morning. And um, before we get started, you know what I'm going to do, uh, because it is New Year's Eve. And um, uh, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions real quick. And so um, what I'd like to do first is, I don't know if you had time yet. Let me ask you, have you is there anyone here who's already written out some New Year's resolutions? Anybody raise your hand if you have? All right, awesome. Now I'm going to ask you, and I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you what one of those are, but um, if you haven't, you still got time. You still have time, okay? Less than 24 hours, you can write some awesome things down, or what you can do is just get that list you had last year and just redo it for this year, okay? Save you some time. It'd be a lot faster for that, okay? Uh, but here's, here's some things. If you haven't written a New Year's resolution yet, let me give you some that... Um, that to avoid, okay? Not to add, but kind of avoid. Maybe you might adopt some of these, but you probably shouldn't adopt some of these. So, Nick, if you would, boot in the next slide. Here's the first one. One person said, my New Year's resolution is to help all my friends gain 10 pounds so I look skinnier, okay? That's probably not one you should adopt, but if you want to, you can. All right, here's the next one. My New Year's resolution is to read more, so I'm going to put on the subtitles, okay? When you're watching TV or watching a movie, you can also read at the same time. Here's the next one. Someone said, I was going to quit all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remember that nobody likes a quitter, okay? <laughs> That's a good one right there. Here's the next one. My New Year's resolution is, oh, wait, my wife still hasn't told me yet, okay? For the husbands, and nope, that doesn't demean you ladies, okay? It just means the guys are just pretty terrible. So here's the next one. My New Year's resolution is that donuts have no calories, okay? Um, only if that were true, only if we could look at food and say, this has no calories, okay? But that's not going to happen. My New Year's resolution is to stop hanging out with people who ask me about my New Year's resolutions, okay? A couple more here. My New Year's resolution is do less laundry and use more deodorant, okay? Um, that kind of is true for a lot of single guys, okay? So... Um, that's an ongoing resolution. Um, I do buy extra pairs of things, so it lasts me longer. So here we go. Last one here. My New Year's resolution is to not bore my boss with the same excuses for taking leaves. I would think of some more excuses, okay? So hopefully some of these are not on your list, okay? Uh, as you're thinking about, you know, what is something I can do this year uh, differently? So hopefully that won't be on your list as you adopt uh, as you look to write out a New Year's resolution. If you would, take your Bibles, and uh, we're going to go to the book of Revelation this morning, the book of Revelation. And uh, chapter number three, that's where we're going to be, chapter number three. And I'm just going to tell you right off the bat what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, and it's this word called, uh, this word called complacency. Nick, if you would put that up there. Complacency. This is a word that we're going to talk about and. If you don't know what the word means, then we'll define it right now. The word complacency is defined as a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction, often combined with a lack of awareness of pending trouble or controversy. That's what complacency means. So if you didn't know what complacency means now, you know what complacency means. Pretty much saying that we've come to a place in our life where things are comfortable, we're content, kind of settled in, but yet at the same time, we become unaware and in places of danger and not knowing and not living with urgency. 
Now, in Revelation chapter number 3, before we read it, I just want to give you a little bit of what Revelation chapter 3 we're going to find. We're going to find a church that has grown in the word that we're looking at today. They've grown complacent. A church that has grown complacent. Now, my hope and prayer this morning, and I've been praying, and I know pastor's been praying, and that the Holy Spirit will work in our lives individually and also as our church to uproot the places of complacency we have in our lives. That God would open our eyes to see where our affections are placed. So let's begin to read in verse 14 of Revelation chapter number 3. Let's read verse 14. Now the person speaking here is Jesus. If you have your Bible and it's letters in red, then you'll know that's, that's Jesus. So Revelation chapter number 3 verse 14. The Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith he, Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Let's read verse 19 together. Ready, begin. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then verse 20, a familiar verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. See, the church at Laodicea has grown accustomed to the world around them. They have made leisure and comforts their best friends. They live with no awareness or sense of urgency, and they have completely turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to what God has designed them to be as a church and as his people. They no longer want him or even feel the need to have him. The church has been conned by complacency. Now let's hear what A.W. Tozer, this quote from him, he said this. I want deliberately to encourage the mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire may be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long, in vain. One of the things I took out of there that kind of makes the crux of Revelation chapter number 3 and verses 14 through 20 is this idea that complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. It's a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency deceives those who are made for another world to settle into this one. If you're saved this morning, if you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ this 
morning. If you have been a Christian, a Jesus follower, understand that at that moment, your citizenship was transferred to another world. You no longer live for this one. You live for another one. And so you and I, what's, what, what is one of the deadly foes of our spiritual growth, the deadly foes of us living for eternity is complacency. You see, complacency is an affront to our conformity in Jesus. And if we're not aware of this, if we don't take this seriously, we will find ourselves spending our time and efforts on things that do not deepen our love for Jesus. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of good things that you and I can participate in. There's a lot of good things that you and I can do, but at the end of the day, they make terrible gods. At the end of the day, they make terrible gods and they leave you wanting more. But if we understand that we're not of this world, if we understand and heed the reality that we've been made for another, we live with more abandon and freedom in Christ. Matthew 6, 21 would tell you this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. You know what your heart longs for. You know what you value in your life. And oftentimes what's important to you, your heart's there. And the thing is, God wants your heart. He wants it. Now, Jesus does not want his children to be complacent. He does not want our affection to be placed in things that are temporary, but placed in him who is eternal. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 would say this, as I said before, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And as we get into this, by way of introductory, I would like to ask you a couple questions as we dive into Revelation chapter 3. The first question being this, are you in a place of complacency? And the next one is, have you grown comfortable? Have you grown comfortable? Allow these questions to sink in and, and be truthful with yourself. Here's the next one. Are you self-satisfied? And have you stopped growing in your love and pursuit of Jesus? And here's the last one. Do you even care anymore? Do you even care anymore? See, Jesus cares about you. And he cares about your life and how you live it. His grace and his love still calls out to us. He's a loving father who calls out to a son or daughter who are playing too close to the road and beckons him or her to come closer so they will not get hurt. See, Jesus has a purpose for you and me. He does not want us to be crushed by complacency, but through him conquer it. In these next few moments, I ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to really work in your heart. I pray that you would give him free reign to point out what might be painful or convicting. That you, might, that you may be surrendered to his leading. That we may pray that at the end of the service, we would see how much Jesus really cares about us. And how much his love, how much his love means to us. Now here's the thing. Those questions I asked you, I had to ask myself. So I'm not standing up here saying that I got this or that I've conquered complacency and I'm perfect. No, 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 no. Man, those questions were hard to ask and also hard to answer. 
but I hope that you won't let those questions be offensive to you. Because at the end of the day, these questions are there so that it could help us love Jesus way more. And he does this because he loves us. You know, as we begin to uproot this complacency, Jesus starts off by, number one, pointing out this, the ineffectiveness of his people. The ineffectiveness of his people. See, the Bible gives this analogy of Jesus being nauseated over the spiritual state of Laodicea, this church. He uses a very familiar example to connect an important truth to his church. He says that the Laodicean church is neither cold or hot. Say that with me. Cold or hot. He says that they're actually lukewarm. So let's read that in verse 15. Verse 15. It says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Another idea of what Jesus is saying here, that lukewarm is the idea of complacency. And what happened is this church had just become ineffective for the work of the Lord. See, Jesus is describing his church in terms of water and its, and its temperatures. When Jesus described the church in terms of water and its temperature, they knew immediately what he was talking about. The Laodicean people for many years have been drinking and using lukewarm water. Now let me ask you, does anyone here like lukewarm water? Anyone like lukewarm coffee? Anybody? Over at my place, and I love my place, okay? Thank you all for giving and being a blessing. I love my place. First couple of, I think it was like first couple months, I was taking some lukewarm showers, man. It would, it would not decide whether it wanted to be hot or cold. It was just coming out just weirdly warm. And it was, you know, I tried to stand there and, and in my mind try to make sure, picture it was hot, but it didn't change anything. You know, it didn't change anything. I was trying to think of things that were hot and it just wouldn't change. So I had to take a months and months of shower and like, you're all, and I'm not, you know, trying to be all like, oh, feel sorry for me. But man, lukewarm is not good. <laughs> Useless. And finally, Brother Hooker went in there, turned on the water heater a little bit up, and now it's great. Now it's hot. Um, and I enjoy my showers a lot more. So, And so this, this, these people every day were in these places, uh, in their place, in their homes and stuff, where they were, they were using lukewarm water and, and things for the daily life. But, but the thing is, um, when we think about Laodicea and the way their water was constructed and the way they used and how they got their water is, is very revealing. See, part of the water supply of the Laodiceans came from a sister city called Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis was known for its hot springs, and the hot springs grew to popularity, for it was said that they contained healing properties. Okay, so these, there was a, another sister city that was a way that Laodicea could uh, get hot water from. They had hot springs that had these healing properties. And through the centuries, people have believed that its waters could cure anything from bone ailments to brain deficiencies. So the Laodiceans built an uh, aqueduct to Hierapolis to receive the hot water that came down from those springs. Now they had, now they figured out where to get hot water. Now they're trying to figure out where to get cold water. So the Laodiceans, uh, other half of their water supply came from the city of Colossae. The water from Colossae was known for being cold and clear. It was refreshing, okay? So when Jesus speaks to this church in terms of hot and cold, these people are immediately understanding what Jesus is saying. But here's the thing. 
Now, when the water from Hierapolis would come through the aqueduct, by the time it reached the city, guess what? It was neither cold or hot. You obviously know the answer. What was the answer? It was lukewarm. It was lukewarm. And so when Jesus gave this analogy, they realized, wow, we know what you're talking about. He described them as lukewarm. Now, when we think about cold and hot, right? Cold and hot water. Here's my representations to help you this morning. Um, I'll put cold on this side and hot on this side, okay? So these are ideas. This is cold and this is hot, all right? And don't worry, I got a lukewarm cup, but it's not here yet, so I'll show it to you later. So right now, as we talk about cold and hot, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll, you'll find that the consensus between cold and hot in this passage is either negative, cold, or positive, hot. And that's kind of the consensus. And usually what happens is when you hear this passage, you're saying, Jesus is saying, hey, be as cold and don't do anything. Be utterly ineffective. This is, I'd rather you be this, right? Or he's saying, be flaming hot, super zealous, do a lot, all these different things, okay? And this is good. And this is bad. But let me give you an example here. Who remembers how hot it was this summer in church? Okay. A couple times it was over 100. I'm telling you, it was so hot. I was sweating up here. Um, the only time people ever came up to the front is because we had a fan. Okay. That were like, yeah, I want to sit up closer because of the fan. And, and let me tell you this. We experienced such a hot, hot service. All right. And during that hot service, if I were to offer you guys a cold refreshing glass of water. Would you not take it? I think a lot of us would have been like, please let it snow in here. But no, it wouldn't have happened. But if I were to offer you a cold, cold glass of water, you would have taken that. Why? Because it was beneficial. That cold water would have served a purpose for you. It would have quenched the thirst, the dryness, the hot. Cold. That's why I go to Starbucks and I get that iced chai tea latte on a summer's day, okay? But now, we think about hot. Hot's good. Some of you guys came in this morning and had coffee, hot coffee. You didn't have lukewarm coffee, okay? And you probably didn't have cold coffee, unless you're crazy, okay? Unless you like that. But you got a hot cup of coffee. Now, here's the thing. Hot coffee or hot tea, they have purposes to them, okay? You're at home, Say you're on the East Coast and it snowed, you do not want to ice chai tea latte. You want a hot chocolate and be by the fire, okay? After today, after speaking and singing, I'm going to get tea. So why? Because it's going to alleviate my throat, okay? It's going to help heal my throat. So we have hot and we have cold. So when Jesus speaks of hot and cold, and here's the crazy thing, he says, I want you to be one of them. So it's not too, it's not a negative and a positive. Guess what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying these are both positives. But this is what you are. The lukewarm. Now, whoever used this cup this morning, don't, don't think I'm, I'm picking on you. Okay, no. Lukewarm. This is the lukewarm cup. The lukewarm. Because when Jesus says cold, I want you to be cold. This is what he's saying. I want you to be like Colossae's waters that were refreshing. That when you took a drink, drink from it, that you were refreshed but you're not like that. 
And I want you to be like the hot springs of, of the ones in Hierapolis, that you were a person that heals, a person that brings healing. As a church, I want you to be a refreshing church, and I want you to be a church that's healing, a church that uh, goes out and it finds people whose souls are dry. And by them being around you, guess what happens? They become refreshed. See, we as a church are called to refresh this world because they've been so dry. They've been so crusty because of sin. We are a church that's called to heal. We're a church that's supposed to go out there and people who are diseased by sin, we're supposed to go out there and share the gospel with these people and heal the souls that they have. Jesus Christ healing the souls. We've been called to be a church of refreshment and a church of healing. But yet Jesus says to this church, you're this one. You're neither refreshing or healing. Now the thing is this. Jesus goes on and he takes it a step further. And he says that he drinks the lukewarm and he spews it out. Now the, the candy-coated way of saying that, he kind of just spits it out, right? That's the candy-coated way. You know, because you can have something, you can just spit it out. It's not terrible. But have you ever seen someone vomit? <laughs> okay, that's a little bit more graphic, okay? And that's a little bit more, oh, it's a little bit more <laughs> shocking, okay? Growing up as a kid, I could not contain this stomach, okay? Um, if I, <laughs> I was terrible, I got car sick like crazy. Um, I remember my grandmother taking me from... Um, California, down in San Diego, San Diego, I don't know if that's down or up, I always get that wrong, in San Diego, all the way to Pennsylvania. We didn't fly, we took a bus, okay? But that bus ride was a memory for my grandmother, and then also new clothes for me once we got to Pennsylvania, okay? Because each and every day, I threw up, okay? <laughs> for some reason, I just could not do that. But then I conquered it about a year ago, and so I'm good now. But, there's a difference between when Jesus spits or when a person spits and a person vomits, and there's a degree, there's a difference. And when Jesus says this, he does not do this because he's disgusted at you. Oftentimes, that's what we see. We oftentimes see the scripture being twisted, and, and it's saying that Jesus is disgusted at his child. He's disgusted and he hates his child. That, that's not it at all. What Jesus is saying is, is that he spits out the ineffectiveness of us, our influence is gone. The lukewarm living is what he cannot stand. It's not you. It's how we've lived in our lives. And so the Bible would show, if you look at that word, it means to vomit. And it just nauseates the Lord that we're the children of God, yet we don't live like the children of God. And so here's this, we become ineffective when we give into complacency. You see, God designed his church with a purpose and meaning. He did not design his church to do nothing or to be ineffective. The thing is, he likens us to water, but if you look throughout scripture, he likens us to what? Salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thence good for nothing, but to be cast out, to be trodden on the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light show sign before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father 
which is in heaven. What are you ashamed of as a Christian? Let's represent who we are. Let's represent the king of glory. We are called salt and light, and we understand that these all have purposes, just like cold and hot have purposes. Jesus wanted them to use the purpose of refreshing. Jesus wanted them to use the purpose of healing, but they didn't use themselves for the purposes, so they became ineffective, and yet light has a purpose. It's to show us the way through the darkness. And you and I have been called to be lights because this world is dark. You and I have been called to be salt because there are souls of men are decaying, and yet the preserving gospel needs to be given to them. That's who we've been called to be. And yet Jesus says, you're not being those things. You're not believing that's who you are. Now, here's the thing. That's not God's fault. Complacency is completely our choice. Lukewarm living is completely our choice. Jesus calling us to come into the game, but we're fine sitting on the bench is our choice. The thing is, Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use our church. He wants to use his people. Now, here's one thing that blew my mind as I was thinking about this. You feel like I'm putting a lot of emphasis on you, okay? Just understand that I'm not putting a lot of emphasis. Because if you think about this, this is where it keeps us in line and perspective. Do we not understand that the God who does not need us wants us? The God that does not need you. Here's the game changer, but he wants you. And yet that should change our perspective on who we are. He does not need you, but he wants you. His grand plan is to help the world come to know the transforming power of Jesus. Francis Chan said this, the world needs Christians who don't tolerate the complacency of their own lives. Here's a couple questions. We'll get to the next point. Will you let him use you? And will you embrace who you are in Jesus? Will you let him use you? And will you, will you embrace who you are in Jesus? So that's the ineffectiveness of his people. He wanted them to be cold. He wanted them to be hot. But at the end of the day, sadly and unfortunately, they were lukewarm. Here's the second one. The deception of, the, of his people. Look in verse number 17. Verse number 17. Look at the first part of it. It says this, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You see, the city in which these Christians lived was amazing. Okay, if you've ever done a study on Laodicea, you'll understand that they lived in an awesome city. Okay, an awesome city. It had everything. They were up and coming. They were always setting the trends. These people, man, they were it. They were class A. They had all they needed materially. And what began to happen is this. They began to place their trust in what they could accumulate. Their trust was in their wealth and no longer in the God who could provide. Laodicea was a wealthy city that was known for, known as a strategic banking center. They used their own wealth to pay for the reconstruction of, a city, of the city after a devastating earthquake in AD 60. Rejecting offers of financial aid from Rome, the city was also famous for, the, uh, also famous for their saf, uh, soft black wool uh, it produced and its ancient medicine, particularly I South. Okay, we'll get to that. I South, right? The thing is, this city was good, was well off. And if you lived there, you were well off. You began to settle in. You began to enjoy your life. See, here's the thing. We're going to look at here the mantra of complacency. 
See, when we come to this point in our life, when we become lukewarm, when we become complacent, this is going to be our mantra. This is what we're going to live from. Ready? The first one is, I am rich. I am rich. These believers had an overabundance of material blessings, but by this statement, it shows that they were proud and trusting in that riches as though wealth had the power to give them security and happiness. Security and happiness. This is the first part. I am rich. I have everything I need. I don't need anything. Here's another one. I'm increased with goods. These believers continued to add to their wealth. Not only was wealth a sign of security and happiness and success, but the truth is it never really satisfies them. People want more. Do we, do we not understand that, we, that none of these things in this world will ever get us to the point where we'll be fully satisfied? You're always going to want more, more. But this is the deception in which complacency brings us to a place where we think we're rich, to a place where we think we got goods. And then here's another one. Uh, wait, here's this quote first by Billy Sunday. I think you'll like this. The fellow that has no money is poor. The fellow has nothing but money is poor still. It's poor still. And here's the thing. I'm not knocking on wealth. <laughs> I mean, if God's blessed you, man, awesome. But don't make wealth your God because it's terrible. Now here's the next one. I have need of nothing. These believers were so, so well off that they thought they needed help from neither. They thought they didn't need help from neither God nor man. The people there say that their wealth and prosperity eliminates their need for the Lord. They had bought into the delusion that money can buy anything. They didn't need to trust God. They could simply go out and buy whatever they needed or desired. There was still no need to wait on the Lord. No need to put him first. They sought their security and their talents abilities, human resources, and financial wealth. They thought they were protected from all dangers. They thought they were insulated from all problems and immune to every kind of tragedy. But here's the thing. Complacency blinds us to our dependency in Jesus. Complacency blinds us to our dependency in Jesus. Now here's another one. How long are we willing to live apart from Jesus? Now, here's the thing. Here's the subtle thing. Man, I'm at church. I'm at church. I come every Sunday. Guess what else I do? I just don't come to church. Guess what I do? I put my tithe. I put my tithe in there every week. But here's, a, here's something that you need to ask yourself. And here's something that we've got to see that's reality. Are you here? You say you're here, but are you really here? That's the question. You can be here. But the sad thing is sometimes you're not here. And see, the church was still a church. You understand that? Laodicea was still a church. But yet they thought they were fine. Nothing was wrong with them. They thought they were healthy. But they were so complacent they couldn't see that they were living apart from Jesus, the one who has given them life. Galatians 3.3, are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are now made perfect by the flesh? Now Jesus says this is what we are really like. Let's read the rest of the verse of 17. He says this, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Here's the rest of the part. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The reality is this, when you grow in complacency, when you allow yourself to stay complacent, you are not rich. You're not increased with goods. You don't have need of anything. This is what you really are. You're wretched. You're miserable. 
You're really poor. You're really blind. And here's the thing. You're really naked, okay? And all of these terms that we see here, wretched means to be distressed. Miserable means to be pitiful. Poor means to have no spiritual riches. Blind means to have no spiritual insight. And naked means to show of embarrassment, humiliation. And so Jesus is saying, you think that you're fine, but really, you're not. And it's not okay for us as a church and as individuals to live our lives thinking we're okay when really, we're not. And here's the thing, complacency will make, deceive you so much to think that you're okay. See, the deception of his people was so bad that they were living in spiritual bankruptcy. And the crazy thing is, they were all pretty much rich materially. But praise his name. Jesus does not leave his people to continue in complacency. As I said before, it should blow our minds to know that the God who does not need us wants us. Now here's the last one here, and I'll finish up. I know I'm a little bit behind, but here's the last one. The invitation of his people. The invitation to his people. Let's read verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. So here, Jesus had to, this is what Jesus had to do. He had to deconstruct his church to reconstruct his church. And it's okay. It's okay that sometimes you're going to have to go through some painful things in your life. It's okay because here's the thing. The God that's lovingly breaking you down is the one who's going to lovingly put you back together. He does this because he loves you. Parents, you should know this the most. Because when you have a kid and you have to be hard and you have to tell the truth, at the end of the day, you know where your heart is. Your heart is because you love them. Your heart is because you want a future for them. Your heart is because you don't want them to get hurt anymore. You should know that better than a lot of us should know. Because the thing is, our God, our Lord, will not leave you, and leave you complacent. He loves you way too much. So Jesus begins to counsel his church to come back, his people to come back. But before we break down verse 18, when we look at buy of me gold, here's the thing. As I said before, Revelation 3.19, here's the foundational reason for all of the deconstruction, reconstruction. Here it is. And I told you, we read this together, and I did that on purpose. So let's read this one more time again. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus does this because he loves you more than you could ever know. He knows that not saying the truth will hurt you more. And when we candy coat complacency and where we're at spiritually, it does us no good. Jesus will not leave us in our complacency, but in his love to show, in his love, show us how to come back to fellowship with him. Now let's break down verse 18 really quickly here. And it says this in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. So Jesus is telling his, his, his church, his people, hey, I got some things you need. Now, you're not going to find this on Amazon, okay? <laughs> you're not going to find this at, at the mall, okay? What I love about this is if you look at it closely, where does he say you need to get it from? He says, from me. From me. He says, buy this from me. He says, first he says, buy of me gold, try it in the fire that thou mayst be rich. Refined gold is a biblical idiom for purifying one life by removing sin. See, the enriched life is a life that you, a life that fights against sin. 
uh, and a rich life is where we, we, we believe what Jesus did on the cross and understands that we're conquerors through him, that sin has no more dominion over us. That's the enriched life. Second, he says, buy of me raiment that thou mayest be clothed. As I said before, you know, one of the things that Laodicea was known for, they were known for their black cloths, okay? And guess what? That black cloth, the Laodicean church would wear. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't wear those anymore. Come back to wearing what I have for you. Come back to wearing white raiment. And this white raiment is your identity and who you are. For so long have you put off your identity. Now get back to your identity. Get back to knowing you are my child and I am your father. That's what he's saying. Get that raiment again. Put it back on. And he says, to anoint thine eyes with with Isau that thou mayest see. This is so that once again, you and I no longer have to be blind. That you and I can see once again what God has for us as we get out of complacency. Just like the eye salve that was so popular in Laodicea, he tells them that to buy the anointment from him. Now again, all of this was framed out by the crazy love of Jesus and his love for his church. One more time, Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And as I wrap it up right now, there's one more verse that we didn't look at that we're going to look at right now, the last verse. Verse 20 is probably the most heartbreaking verse of this, set, of this text. It's because it's the picture of what a, what a complacent Christian looks like. We find that Jesus is standing outside of his church. It's just like the president standing outside of the White House trying to get in. Isn't that kind of weird? But Jesus standing outside of his church, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. For a long time, we've seen this verse to be a salvation verse. Man, if Jesus is there standing at the door of your heart, if you let Jesus in, he'll save you. Now, here's the thing. That's not what the verse is talking about. This church was a church that was saved. It was a church in which God called his. And the spirit of God is speaking to this church, and this church has grown complacent. And yet they become ineffective. They're not what they were supposed to be as a church, a refreshing church. They weren't a healing church to this world. They became ineffective because they were lukewarm. They were complacent. And this church not only was ineffective, but it was deceived. And each person in that church began to think that they were rich, that they were increased with goods, that they had need of nothing, that they thought they could live their life, call themselves a Christian without Jesus. But yet they were deceived. And Jesus says, no, you're wretched, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind. But yet that doesn't stop because I love you. Verse 19, as many as I love, I'm coming after you because you're my church. Now verse 20 will show us that when you live complacent, you relocate Jesus. And he's on the outside. See, a complacent life is a Christian who would live, who lives their life apart from Jesus. And the thing is, he, he wants to, he wants to come back in. He wants to come back in. How long are you willing to live apart from Jesus? How long are you living to keep him outside of your life? Now, 
here's the thing. Jesus had no problem choosing us, but why do we have such a hard time choosing him? And it's because part of that is complacency. Part of that's because we've grown, we've, we've grown comfortable. We've allowed ourselves to settle in. When Jesus says, no, I've made you for another world. You remember when you got saved. You remember when you accepted the gospel, man. Jesus blew you up and you couldn't stop thinking about him. But yet the world came in again. And life came in again. And hurt and struggle came in again. But yet Jesus is still saying, no, 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 no. That's why I'm here and that's why I'm here for you. That's why I'm the center of your life because I can help you with all of those things. But yet you've grown complacent. You try to live life without me. And yet he's standing there, he's knocking. Hey, let me back in. I want a fellowship with you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here because I love you too much for you to live a life with no value and purpose. Let me in. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. And I don't know all of those different things. But here's what I do know. If you've been complacent, let Jesus back in. Open the door. Hey, as a church, let's let Jesus back in. Let's understand our purpose, that we're here to refresh the world and that we're here to, to heal the souls here. Hey, let's understand who we are in Jesus. Let's get back to being zealous. Let's get back to having that fervor and fire for the Lord that we used to have, that passion. Colossians 1.18 will say this. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, here's the thing I'm going to tell you right now. Today's message was not a solution to say that you'll ever be perfect in this at all. Today's message was an encouragement to remind you that when you do mess up and you get complacent, come back. When you do mess up and you get complacent, open the door. That's what today's message is. We're not looking for you to be a perfect Christian. God's not looking for you to be a perfect Christian. All he's looking for is he's looking for you to fellowship with him, to love him again. He's looking for you to root yourself in obedience to him. And the thing is, he wants to fellowship with you. We will battle this until Jesus comes. But my encouragement to you is battle it battle it, fight against it, and know that he is your strength and that he does go before, because God is able. See, there's a lot of Christians for many years will experience complacency and be okay, but may we choose to open the door and allow Jesus to change us again, allow Jesus to use us again. And may we be passionate followers of Jesus again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for today. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word. Father, I don't know where a lot of these, a lot of our churches, I don't know about our brothers and sisters, where they're at in their life spiritually. But God, 